Our scripture reading this morning is a short one from Proverbs chapter 1, reading just verses 8 and 9. So let's give careful attention to the public reading of God's Word as it's found in the book of Proverbs, the first chapter, verses 8 and 9. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. And may the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to each of our hearts this morning. Let's pray together. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your word, your word which is truth, and who has called us to engage in the study of that word. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would sweeten this part of your word to our hearts and our lives, that we might grow in our knowledge of you and ourselves and the world that you have made, that we might more enjoy the calling that you have given to us, and that we might honor you more along the path of life. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus, your Son and our Savior, who reigns together with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Be seated, please. Well, I am a logophile, and if that's a word that you haven't heard before, I'll give you a a word that helps you understand what it means. I'm a lexophile. That means I love words. I have dictionary.com, etymology.com on my phone. I, I use them all the time. My wife and I enjoy in the evening sitting out back and watching these uh, British and Australian detective shows, and they often have turns of phrases that n- new to me, so get out my phone, find out what those uh, words are. Uh, one interesting word is the word eavesdrop. Um, the, the verb eavesdrop comes from the noun eavesdropper. And the noun eavesdropper comes from the word eavesdrop, not the verb, but a noun, and that's a strange word. Uh, You know what the eaves are on your house. Well, when it rains, or there's a lot of dew if you live in central Florida, what happens is that water drops off the eaves, and it lands on the ground. And so that place where the water lands is called the eavesdrop. Uh, And if someone tends to stand at the eavesdrop so as to listen into the conversation through the window, that person is called an eavesdropper. Okay, so that's the end of the sermon. (laughs) Now, it's not going to be quite that short. But what's that have to do with the text that we read? Well, in actuality, what we just did in Proverbs 1, 8 to 9, is we eavesdropped in on a conversation between a father and his son. In fact, in chapters 1 to 9, some 15 times we read something like, listen, my son, and then we hear a conversation between the father and the son. We're actually invited to eavesdrop. Now, just to note, when it says, listen, my son, um, if you're not a son because you're my age or greater and your parents have passed away so that you're not in that father-son relationship, don't tune me out. This message applies to you. 
If you're a daughter and you're not a son, don't tune me out. This applies to you. Now, there are particular reasons why in the book of Proverbs it says, listen, my son, and it does not say, listen, my son and daughter, but we don't have time to go into all of that. Only to make this comment. Notice that in verse 8 it says, listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Now, if the mother's teaching, what does that presume? It presumes that somebody has done what? Somebody's taught the mother. And the mother was once a daughter, and when the mother was a daughter, the daughter was taught like the son was taught. So the, the young sons and the young daughters were both taught, but there are reasons why the address in the book is only to the sons. Uh, but in addition, as we're going to see, it doesn't matter whether you are male or female. It doesn't matter whether you are young or old. It doesn't matter if you've been on the Christian path for many, many years or for a week. This text applies to all of us. Well, with that in mind, uh, we want to take a look at these two verses. Uh, just dropping in on this conversation and when we do, we find out two things about wisdom, because in this conversation, it's the first of 15, and it really lays down some fundamentals for us about what it means uh, to live a wise life. The father's just getting rolling in his instruction to the young son about what it means to live a wise life. And when we listen in on this conversation, we hear the father teaching the son about two things, wisdom's posture and wisdom's promise. So let's look first of all at wisdom's posture. I remember one time, I don't know exactly where we were, but my daughter Annie and I, she's my baby, just turned 25, uh, we were traveling somewhere together. She was in middle school. We were standing at the gate at the airport waiting to board the plane, and an older woman came up to Annie and said to her, are you a dancer? Well, of course, Annie started uh, with the tutu at three, three little ones. They're like the cutest dancers in the world. And uh, she now is the dance teacher at Oviedo High School. She is the head dance coach. Uh, she works for Universal Dance Association in the summer. She loves dance. She graduated with an accounting degree. And uh, she said, Dad, I knew that was the responsible thing to do, but what I really love is dance. So I said, follow your heart. And uh, so she's enjoying that. So Annie then said to this woman, how did you know I was a dancer? And the woman replied, your posture. I could tell by your posture that you've been trained as a dancer. So could somebody look at you and look at your posture and say, now there's a wise person. Can they tell by your posture that you are a wise person? Of course, that begs the question, what is the posture of a wise person? And since posture and Presbyterian both start with P and Presbyterians like threes, let's look at three things, huh? Three dimensions of wisdom's posture. The first is teachable. Teachable. Notice how the text starts by saying, listen. Now, we use the word listen in a variety of ways. 
Uh, on the way down, when I drive down, I'd like to listen to music. That's not this kind of listening. This kind of listening is when the mother says to the daughter, you didn't listen to me. That doesn't mean you didn't hear what I had to say. It means you didn't do what I instructed you to do. This is that kind of listening. This is a paying close attention so as to put into practice. That's what the Father means when he says, listen, teachable. Wisdom's posture is teachable. The question is, are you? Do you have that teachable spirit? And this is not something that just we start with at the beginning and then we can leave behind as we get older. This is a lifelong endeavor. I remember once when I was a young pastor, I had the privilege, uh, I was ordained in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. I had the privilege of uh, teaching at a camp one summer out on the West Coast. And um, after about my third lesson, there was a, a retired minister who always sat right up front with his notebook. I was young. He, he made me a little bit nervous. So sure enough, after about the third lesson, he said, uh, Mark, can we go sit under the tree and talk? I said, oh, now the hammer is going to drop. I was amazed. He said, you know, based on what you've had to say, I've had some questions for a long time, and I think you might have some answers for me. That fellow doesn't know the deep impression he made on me. He had been walking the Christian path far longer than I had been living. And yet, what did he evidence? He evidenced wisdom's posture. Teachable. Teachable even when he could have been doing the teaching. He was still a student. Uh, Proverbs 1.5, just a few verses before our text, you see, it says, Let the wise listen and add to their learning. That's what I meant earlier when I said this text is for everybody. Let the wise listen. You never come to a point where you are so wise that you cannot learn from others if you are truly wise. Because a wise person remains in a lifelong state of being teachable. And that's why verse 7, right before our two verses, says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, it's not the beginning as in um, a sprint. Can you picture, like if you watch uh, Summer Olympics and the racers are ready to run that short sprint and they have those blocks that they put their feet in? Because the blocks are the beginning of the race, yes? But once they leave the blocks, they don't carry them with them, do they? No. They leave them behind. That's not the kind of beginning that the fear of the Lord is for this life of wisdom. One of my mentors, uh, Dr. Bruce Waltke, said in a book that he wrote, what the alphabet is to reading and numerals to mathematics, the fear of the Lord is to attaining the real revealed knowledge of this book. 
See, when you're running that sprint, you can leave the blocks behind. But not when you live a life of wisdom. You can't learn the letters of the alphabet, learn how to read, forget the letters of the alphabet, and keep reading. You can't learn your numerals and then learn mathematics and then forget the numerals and continue doing mathematics. The letters of the alphabet you have to keep with you all the time. Numerals you have to keep with you all the time. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You have to keep with you all the time. This instruction in the book of Proverbs, while it is targeted for specific reasons to an adolescent male about to enter adulthood, it's for everybody. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. So, your posture... When people think of you, do they think of somebody who... Now, that's a teachable person. That's the first characteristic of wisdom's posture. There's another that goes right along with it, and that's humble. So first is teachable, second is humble. And um, humble is the opposite of arrogant, Proverbs 11.2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Humility and wisdom go hand in glove. Proverbs 18.12, before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes with honor. You see, the uh, one, one thing that is true of The opposite of being humble, which is being arrogant, is arrogant people don't do one particular thing. They don't listen. Arrogant people don't listen, and they don't listen for a good reason. The reason why they don't listen is they don't need to listen because they they know everything. They don't need to be teachable. So you see, being humble... And being teachable do go hand in glove. You can't have the one without the other. Show me somebody who is truly teachable, and I'll show you a humble person. Doesn't matter, young, old, male, or female. Show me somebody who is arrogant, and I'll show you somebody who just can't learn anything from others. So your posture, when people are sizing you up, you know, like sometimes you go to these fairs, and there's a chiropractor there, and they can stand you up in front to check, you know, where you're out of a line. If somebody checks you out, your posture out, do they say, yeah, I can see two things right away. I can see teachable in spirit, and I can see humble before other people. That's wisdom's posture. Can they tell you're a dancer? Can they tell that you are wise by being teachable, by being humble. Now, there's one more uh, characteristic, and that characteristic is submissive. In particular, submissive to the Lord. Now, notice that it says, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. This is a classic uh, Hebrew poetic line. Hebrew poetry is really not at all like English poetry. There's nothing in Hebrew poetry like hickory dickory dock, the mouse ran up the clock. Uh, Hebrew poetry doesn't use rhyme or rhythm. 
It doesn't use uh, meter like our poetry might use. It doesn't use um, words that sound alike. It, it does its poetry in a completely different way. This is a classic line. Ha- Typically, there are two half lines, and there are correspondences between each half line. So, father corresponds to mother, and instruction corresponds to teaching. That's kind of the warp and woof of Hebrew poetic lines. Usually, something is general is stated in the first line, and then there's something additional in the second part. So, the general is, listen, my son, to your father's instruction, but in particular... Don't forsake your mother's teaching. Now, let's take a look at that word that is translated teaching. Uh, In Hebrew, it's the word Torah. You've probably heard that Hebrew word somewhere along the way. Jews speak of the whole Bible as the Torah, or they speak of the first five books of Moses as the Torah. But in Hebrew, you tend to accent words on the last syllable. So in Hebrew, we say Torah. In English, we make it uh, Torah. It's kind of like Yom Kippur, uh, which is English, American English for Yom Kippur, uh, but we say Yom Kippur. So that's the word we're looking at, uh, Torah. Now it occurs quite a few times in the book of Proverbs, and the NIV from which I'm reading always translates it with something like teaching or instruction, but not so the ESV. Sometimes the ESV translates it with teaching or instruction. Sometimes the ESV translates it with the word law. And there are, there's a clear reason as to why they're choosing the one and the other. When this word Torah is associated with mother and father, they go teaching instruction. But when it's associated with God, they go law. Because I'm guessing that they want the use of this word in association with God to have a little bit more authority. So they use the word law and not teaching. Because uh, we don't normally think of the speed limit sign as teaching. We think of it as law. Um, But at any rate, I think that leads us down a slightly wrong trail. Because it might lead us to think that the teaching in the mother and the father are somehow different than the law of God. The point is that the Torah of the mother is the Torah of God. Now, stop and think about that for a moment, but let's go to a different book. I know this is going to surprise you, but I'm going to illustrate this from the book of Psalms. Now, you think of the the Psalms as God's Word, yes? But stop and think about it for a moment. What was that Psalm originally? How long, O Lord, will you forget me? How long must I wrestle with my heart, with my, wrestle in my heart and every day have sorrow in my soul? Originally, what was the direction of speech in a Psalm? A psalm was going from some human to God. So the psalms were originally human words to God. But that's not how you view the psalms, is it? You view them as God's word to you. 
It's an interesting thing that happened. Human words to God become God's word to humans once they get included in the scriptures. Once that psalm is not just a psalm of David, but it's part of the scriptures, now what was originally a human word to God is a divine word to you about how you should pray and how you should feel and how you should think. And in the same way, what was once a mother's teaching to her children has become the teaching of the Lord. Once it is incorporated into the book of Proverbs, it's not just the teaching of any mom, it is the teaching of God. And that's why this word Torah is used both with mother, the Torah of mother, and the Torah of the Lord, because her teaching, once it's in the scriptures, is not just the teaching of any mother, but it's divinely inspired, authoritative for life and practice instruction from God, which means you must submit to it. That's a long way of round to say the posture of somebody who's wise is somebody who submits to the teaching of the Lord in the warp and woof of life. So wisdom's posture, it's kind of easy to spot, teachable, humble, submissive. Were you, figuratively speaking, to be standing in that line with my daughter Annie, would somebody walk up to you and say, well, I can see that she's a dancer, and I can see that you're wise. Well, how so? She has the posture of a dancer. You have the posture of a wise person, teachable, humble, submissive. Now, this text not only teaches us about wisdom's posture, but it goes on to teach us about wisdom's promise. And first of all, it uses some symbols of that promise. And we have a couple of translational options before us. The NIV that I read says they are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. The ESV is similar, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. But if we're honest, when's the last time you talked to people about garlands or pendants or neck chains? There is kind of a Jewish NIV Uh, And it says this, for they are a graceful wreath upon your head. Now you can picture that, a wreath upon your head, and a necklace around your throat. Wreath and necklace. That's really the better choice for what these symbols are. So the symbols, that they come out of the ancient world. They don't come out of our world uh, because we don't use wreaths on the head. We use wreaths on the door. Are yours ready? It's just around the corner. But we don't use wreaths on the head, except maybe at a wedding that is an outdoorsy couple. She might have a wreath. Uh, But we can at least picture it. Maybe if, I don't know, I haven't watched Harry Potter, but maybe in Harry Potter or... uh, What's Tolkien's trilogy? 
Lord of the Rings. Maybe some there. Maybe there's some Reeves running around there. Uh, maybe the uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. But we can still picture a wreath around the head and a necklace around the throat. These are images from the ancient world, not our world. And the wreath is a, a symbol of victory. You run a race. You get to the end. You don't. What in our Olympics? What do we get? We don't get a wreath. You can picture it, can't you? There's the ribbon, and at the bottom of the ribbon, there's the medal, and the medal has the five Olympic circles on it. That's, that's kind of our modern version. In the ancient world, it was a wreath on the head. And the necklace was a symbol of wealth. Kings. Uh, women didn't just wear necklaces in the ancient world, um, but men did as well. And it, it was kind of an ancient version of what we call bling. And it was wealthy people who wore necklaces of gold and silver and bronze with stones. It was a symbol of wealth. So the wreath is a symbol of victory, and the necklace is a symbol of wealth. Um, Dr. Waltke, who studied this kind of thing a lot, points us back to Egypt for kind of the background of a lot of this sort of thing. There's a background, Bible background commentary by InterVarsity Press, and it, it does the same thing. It says, just as a champion is adorned with a wreath of victory, and a newly appointed official is given the necklace of his office, so too is the attentive son assured of prosperity and a stable life. Now, who is the quintessential wise man of the Old Testament? Solomon. Well, Egypt had their own version of Solomon, and his name was Tahotep. And he said this, which ties in. He said, the wise follow their teacher's advice. See, they listen. They don't just listen, they listen. They follow their teacher's advice, and consequently, their projects do not fail. They win. They have victory. They have wealth. Let's read Proverbs 4, 1 to 9. Our scripture reading was short, and so we can uh, read a little bit more of the book of Proverbs uh, 4, 1 to 9, and watch how it builds to the ninth verse. Listen. See, we're eavesdropping again. Listen, my son, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. For I, too, was a son of my father, still tender and cherished by my mother. Then he taught me. He said to me, see, father teaches son. Son becomes father. When son becomes father, father teaches son. And the, the, the faith goes on from generation to generation. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, she will watch over you. See the benefits of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. Cherish her, what will she do? She will exalt you. Embrace her, what will she do? She will honor you. She will give you a garland, there's our wreath again, to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. 
we could multiply passages where there is a promise held out for those who are wise. And in one way or another, it's the wreath of victory and it is the necklace of wealth. Proverbs 22.4, the reward for humility, see that's part of wisdom's posture, and the fear of the Lord, that's the beginning of wisdom, is riches and honor and life. One commentator summarizes it this way, the garland and chain are the adornments of wisdom and symbolize health and prosperity. Now, as soon as you hear that word prosperity, you start to get a little bit nervous. And if I had said not health and prosperity, but I said health and wealth, then you would have gotten a lot nervous. Yes? Well, I'm just telling you what the book of Proverbs says here. Um, But let me say two things with regard to health and wealth promised to us in the book of Proverbs, or health and prosperity. By the way, prosperity is not a four-letter word. Get out your concordance and see how frequently the ESV uses the word prosperity uh, in its translation of the Bible. But let me say two, just two quick things, because this is a whole big subject. One, Proverbs is just giving us the basics. Proverbs has been misunderstood because of this. Proverbs is like ninth grade biology. How many of us can remember ninth grade biology? Then you go off to college and you find out, well, it wasn't quite as simple as my ninth grade biology teacher led me to believe. No, it's a lot more complex. And so you have the book of Proverbs, which is just the basics. It's like ninth grade biology. It's not interested in providing all the qualifications and the nuances. Um, What's the equivalent to college-level biology in this regard? The book of Job? The book of Ecclesiastes? See, one person said, um, uh, the way Job and Ecclesiastes have been described is this way. I read the book of Proverbs. I tried it. It didn't work, so I wrote Job. (laughs) I read the book of Proverbs. I tried it. It didn't work, so I wrote Ecclesiastes. Here's a real short summary of those three books. Proverbs I call walking the path. It is just the simple basics of wisdom. And you can summarize it from chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. It's just just that simple. Trust the Lord and you have a straight path, right? That's the basic teaching. But um, sometimes, and you know this if you've been around the block more than once, sometimes life is more like a maze than it is a straight path. And that's the book of Ecclesiastes, for when life is perplexing. And uh, sometimes life is more like going down in a deep, deep, deep uh, pit, not just a straight, smooth path. That's the book of Job, how to manage the dips in life. And uh, But Proverbs is 
just giving us the basics. So Job and Ecclesiastes are going to qualify and talk about exceptions to the rules, but Proverbs is pretty much just giving us the basic rules. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, Proverbs is still true. Please do not let it die the death of a thousand qualifications. We have to hear the message of the book of Proverbs. For example, Proverbs 3, 1-2, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. It is true. Now, I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. I'm not going to guarantee you if you do A, B, and C, uh, this uh, health and this wealth and this prosperity is going to arrive in the mail tomorrow morning. But I'm going to tell you it's absolutely true. You walk a wise path and you will experience health untold. Wealth untold. My parents were not wealthy, wealthy people. They worked hard. My dad had his own business. They they put enough money away that they were able to pass some on to the kids. The book of Proverbs says, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. So if you happen to have an RV with that on your bumper sticker, please just remove the, that, the one that says, you know, I'm spending my kids' inheritance. No, no, that's not wise. That's not godly. We build for the next generation. Um, my parents, uh, they, they did well. My brother, uh, who does quite well, said... In terms of dollars, I've put away way more than dad. In terms of percentage, I'm nowhere close to putting away for the future what dad and mom were able to put away. So they didn't have, uh, they didn't have a lot in, in that way. My dad died in a state of dementia. My mother died with congestive heart failure. Let me tell you right now, they have a driveway, and it's paved with gold. And there is no, there's no frailty in their bodies, in their minds, in their spirits. Why not? Because they walked a wise path. The teaching of Proverbs is true. That wisdom leads to health and wealth and prosperity. Uh, perfect in the life to come. How much in this life? God knows. And in his providence, he deals with all of us in different ways. But he wants us to live with the expectation that wisdom not only has a posture, but that it also has a promise. He's a good teacher. And he knows that promise will keep us going. Proverbs Uh, Chapter 1, verse 33, Lady Wisdom says, Whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. Well, by way of conclusion, let me just read one New Testament verse, 1 Corinthians 1.30. It is because of him, the Father, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. What's Paul mean that Christ has become for us wisdom from God? Well, we can say two things. One, 
Jesus took on wisdom's posture, didn't he? Teachable. Luke 2.52, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Luke is virtually quoting Proverbs 3.4, saying what you read in Proverbs 3.4 is what Jesus did. He was the most uh, teachable. He was humble. Matthew 11.29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest. For your souls. He was submissive. Matthew 26, 42. He went away and prayed a second time and said, My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. See, Jesus, you could look at Jesus and say, Now there's a wise man. Why? Because of his posture. Perfect teachability. Perfect humility, perfect submissiveness. And Jesus not only took on wisdom's posture, but he also inherited wisdom's promise for himself. Because he lived an absolutely perfectly wise life, his is the wreath of victory. Through his resurrection from the dead, having died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, having lived a perfect life of wisdom in our place. His is the wreath of victory. His is the necklace of wealth. He who became poor for us has entered into a state of wealth in the presence of the Father that is beyond the imagination of finite human beings like you and like me. But he inherited wisdom's promise not only for himself, but also for you. He did it for you. He lived wisdom for you. We call that justification. He is producing wisdom in you. We call that sanctification. That's why the life we live, we live by faith, not in how wise we are. We live by faith in the Son of God who has loved us and lived a perfectly wise life for us and died on the cross to pay the penalty for all of our foolishness. Now let me just conclude my conclusion by asking, do any of you lack wisdom? Is there some some straightening of your posture that you need? Do you see some areas where you could be more teachable? Where you could be more humble? Where you could be more submissive to the word of God? Do any of you lack any of the promise of wisdom? Is there any health? Is there any wealth? Is there any form of shalom, of prosperity that you need? In other words, do any of you lack wisdom in one way or another? I conclude my conclusion with James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who generously gives to all, and don't you love this part, without finding fault. When you go to your heavenly Father and say, Father, I need some wisdom here of whatever kind it is, he does not say, you fool. He gives generously without finding fault. So, if you lack, ask, and it will be 
given to you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would write this part of your word on our hearts, that we might trust in Christ our wisdom, and that we might strive to take on his posture, even as we, uh, we anticipate experiencing more of his promise. And we pray in his name. Amen.